You're listening to United Q Podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Kamado Joe, Thermopen, and Smokewood Shack. ProQ's extensive range of bullet smokers, reverse flow, and gravity-fed smokers will suit all, from the home enthusiast to the big volume caterer. Kamado Joe, the king of ceramics, is renowned for build quality and innovation. When smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Thermapen Instant Read Thermometers. Take the guesswork out of barbecuing with the super fast Thermapen. Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoky goodness, you provide the talent. this week's show we've got nick solares food writer photographer tv presenter oh and of course professional carnivore we all want that job hi nick you all right i'm doing very well chaps how's everyone doing we're doing awesome thank you yeah it's good to have you on um my pleasure really you've been mentioned a lot on podcasts over the uh over the past and most recently i think was john gower from the uh the new york uh brisket king competition and uh yeah, so so we finally got you on. Yeah, you know, I, I got to try John's food a couple of weeks ago when I was one of the judges at Brisket King, which he ended up doing very well in, as I'm sure he told you. Yeah, uh, it was uh, it was it was great to to have somebody come over from uh, the old country and uh, and show the colonials how to cook barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know, we thought the same. We we loved it. It was you great. You can edit that out for the U- the US edition of this podcast. Right? <laughs> No, definitely keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was really it was it was great to, to he I mean he turned out a great dish and uh, served it with horseradish, which of course, you know, definitely evokes uh, evokes Britain and uh, sort of really brought together you know what's great about American barbecue and what's great about sort of British the British understanding of meat cooking, which I've always thought is amongst the most profound of all cooking cultures. Definitely, I was at I was at a I was at a uh, barbecue competition over the weekend, and everyone there. I don't know if this is just something that suddenly started happening since John did it the other day, but everyone was just obsessed with getting horseradish on their brisket this weekend. Well, I mean, you know that that maybe should be the stamp of British barbecue. It's you know I'm, I'm not suggesting that you employ any certain rhetorical devices, but I mean, there's <laughs> definitely you know there there is a there's a long tradition of that and, you know, the Sunday roast, of course, all of those things. I mean, you know, what I love about barbecue and I'm using this term not in the really sort of parochial sense that like literally every 
regional style of barbecue in the States considers what they do to be the only kind of barbecue that exists and everything else is sort of, you know, an abomination. Yep. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm a very sort of big tent kind of a guy. And, you know, to me, if you're cooking over live fire, right, even if you're cooking with gas, quite honestly, because the notion of a barbecue, right, can be anyone cooking, and especially in the, in the, in like in the northeast of America and pretty much the entire British Isles, right, a barbecue is just considered cooking meat outside. It could be on a grill, it could be gas, whatever it is. Now, as an aficionado, I happen to think that cooking over live fire is the way to go. But yep. you're better off cooking meat over gas than you're doing vegetables over anything, in my opinion. You know, so. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, you know, the big tent idea of barbecue. Um, I think really it does, it, it's a broadly unifying concept, but at the same time, it gives us all our different expressions wherever we're from. And, you know, I think in England, England has a rich tradition of, of barbecue and I mean, a, not a barbecue, but of cooking and smoking meats and curing meats. And those are all the components of barbecue, right? So, you know, my hope would be that what emerges in Britain is not just a stamped out version of, you know, Texas brisket and South Carolina pulled pork and Memphis style ribs, but actually it's, it's its own thing, its own expression of what, of what Britain is. And I think that's actually largely happening. Um, and of course that dovetails very nicely with the, with the modern meat movement, heritage meat, um, you know, looking at these classic breeds, looking at these old, old breeds, re-examining, you know, farming techniques and all of those things. So I think that the, you know, the movement forward, I think really is like, it's going in the right direction. Yeah. We've got, I mean, amazing, uh, chefs and, and places open like Nuala in London, which is all about, like you're talking about heritage breeds and, and really the, the, the best quality beef that they can source and, and just showing that off cooked over live fire and just, and yeah, just presented. And you got people like uh, Andy Lone Slow, who's gone full circle, who does sort of, he is sort of a Texas sort of influence, but he, he's gone uh, full circle and he's now, uh, again, just all about sourcing ingredients and, and uh, the ingredients sort of speaking, uh, telling the story rather than anything else, to be honest, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about the way that Texans could cook brisket, it's, probably the ideal way of cooking brisket you know it's pretty much a perfect way of cooking brisket there's no i'm not saying throw that out learn from that but you know give it your own inflection you know make it local you know it's funny as i travel around the states because i live in new york um and i travel around quite a bit i was just in memphis in may the big barbecue competition yes and you know i'm seeing brisket on the menus there now because it's just television look it's a double-edged sword right television the internet instagram all of these things help proliferate barbecue culture so you're going to see brisket whether you're in you know in dubai or you're in malaysia someplace or you're down in australia or you're in cornwall or devon you're you're going to see barbecue pop up in your social feed you know in your sort of culinary consciousness um and that's great because it does expand the audience to a global thing at the same time i you know, the danger is it becomes this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy where this is what brisket is and it's this in every place, right? Yeah. And that's, we don't want that because that's that's not what barbecue has traditionally been. It's always been a reflection of the place that it comes from. 
And if it all ends up tasting the same, then you sort of you've sort of lost a lot of the value of things. You know, I'm sure the Texans love it, but you know, it's sort of putting an end to something which doesn't need to have an end. Like there should be no end. It's not. It's and and again, if you think you know, barbecue even within Texas is not this you know static, stagnant thing. It's it's evolved. It's changed. I mean, just think in the last ten years since Aaron Franklin has started barbecuing, he's completely revolutionized brisket, and. Even the old school places have been affected by it. People are smoking their briskets longer. They're using better quality briskets, higher, you know, higher grade brisket. So it's definitely an evolution. Um, I mean, even within the context of Texas barbecue, brisket is not is not that old. I mean, fifty years or something. That's you know, in in the in the terms of some of these cuisines, that's not the longest time. You know. No, definitely not. Definitely not. So if if we 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 jump straight in, if we can just take us back to just kind of you telling us about who you are and how you got into things in the first place. So I'm a food writer based in New York City. Um, I specialize in basically in in the flesh of uh, butchered animals, and I, I mean that's that's always been my specialty has been writing about meat. But I mean, as a food writer, you you write about a whole plethora of things and i've been a restaurant reviewer during my career and i've written about pizza and i've written about restaurant trends and all of those things but what i really love is meat um i started out um about 12 years ago writing one of the first food blogs that was called beef aficionado and pretty soon after i got hired by serious eats who was one of the first professional food blogs to write about hamburgers and then become a reviewer and a feature writer and it, my career just sort of took off from that. It was very sort of natural. And sort of, you know, I kind of defined it in, in a sense. I kind of made my own career with my hobby. Um, but eventually sort of it became my full-time gig. Um, and then most recently, and the thing that I'm really focusing on these days is uh, video. Um, so I did a show called The Meat Show with Eater for about two years. Yeah, um, there's a hundred episodes of that online, and I'm about to launch a new series, which I can't quite reveal to you guys, but I will as soon as I can. Mm. Um, and that's also going to be a meat-focused uh, show um, on YouTube and the internet. Um, so that's really, you know, my career is sort of really just born out of my passion for eating meat, um, dried steaks, hamburgers, but also, you know, and with a with a strong focus on barbecue, which to me is one of the uh, you know, it's not the it's not the most exalted and, and revered cuisine, you know, and I've been to Japan and had Wagyu beef and been through Europe and eaten at all the fancy restaurants. But there's something about barbecue that just sort of sings to me. Um, and it really is sort of, you know, you it, it's delving into a into in a it's delving into food in a cultural way that I don't think, you know, all of these fancy restaurants really, really get. Um, so, I, you know, one of my big joys in life is barbecue and smoked meats. Awesome. So yeah, like serious eats. Like you said, that's a it's a seriously good website as well, isn't it? Like it's really it's, gone it, big. It's really um, it's changed. When when I when I was writing for them, it was really it, it had the cooking aspect, and we had Kenji on board, who was an absolute genius. Um, but it was much more restaurant and, and focused. So I I don't really cook. I avoid cooking because I know so many people that cook so much better than I ever could. <laughs> So you just stick to the eating. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's the best side. <laughs> I, I know what I'm good at. But like, Serious Eats for me was, is or still is, is a fantastic website. And like, even the, 
just <clears throat> the exploration of food and the recipes and stuff and the exploration of of uh, sort of uh, techniques and stuff for me I used it I mean that was sort of uh, a big thing in self teaching me uh, different styles of cooking and, and learning things I mean Serious Eats was a, was a major website in my sort of uh, culinary growth I would say Oh, and I, and I think for a lot of people, is, uh, and it, because what it does is it breaks it down into, yeah. I wouldn't say simple because it's not, the, the things aren't, they're just presented in, in, a, in a tangible way, you know, and it, you don't need a culinary school education to get what, what, especially Kenji, I mean, they're all great writers, but I talk about Kenji a lot because we sort of came into the, we were sort of working together at the time. Um, and then I went on to work for Eater, which is the other, to my, in my opinion, the other great food website. Both were really, to me, they were the most influential, um, purely food-orientated websites. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, but that one is much more restaurant-focused. So it kind of, it, it was good. It's, it's, you know, for what I do as a professional, it's that is more in keeping with my, you know, with with what I do in the direction that they've taken. But Serious Eats is just an invaluable resource. Uh, you can, I have probably 200 articles up on that website. Um, yeah, yeah. And a lot of them, you know, it's funny, like, you know, some, a lot of the places are closed now, but it's interesting. The places that I reviewed that were old, they're all still around. You know, it's like places that really stand, the, it, it's, you know, the places that stand the test of time, you know, do so for a reason, I think. Um, so yeah, you can, I have a, I have a prolific author page on that. Um, I'll, I can send you a link to my website. I have links to all of my uh, all of my writing, a lot of the barbecue related. Yeah, awesome. That'd be great. We can share that out with the episode. You you also worked on like, an app as well, didn't you? Didn't you work with I, a butcher's app or something like that? I did back in 2011. I was the creative director and photographer for Pat Lafrida's big app for me which was produced by 0.0 Productions. Those are the guys that do uh, Anthony Bourdain's shows. Oh, yeah. Oh, wicked. And uh, Pat Lafrida is probably one of the most famous butchers. Um, he is a New York City butcher. His family, you know, their butcher, they're, let me rephrase that because I completely blundered it. So the Lafridas <laughs> go back till, till the 1920s when they came here from, from Italy. And they've been a butcher in the meatpacking districts and it, since then. And now they have a they have a massive shop out in New Jersey, just across the river. And they really supply um, all the top restaurants. They're really famous for their hamburgers, and they also do a lot of the all the big barbecue restaurants. Um, so the the app itself, um, I'm hoping they've updated it for uh, the late, latest iOS. Because every time the iOS gets updated, it needs to be, you know, they need to comply with the with the new specs. Yeah, and it's, yeah. and it's, it's a bit of time. But I think it's still available. It's called the Pat Lafrida's Big App for Meat. And basically, it's probably most pertinent to a U.S. consumer because, as I'm sure your audience knows, we butcher animals differently in the U.K. and the U.S. Um, it's just a different primal system. So this one is really geared towards the U.S. market. And it basically breaks down beef, veal, pork, lamb, and then poultry. And it, it shows every cut. It um, it shows pictures and then cooking tips and, you know, all the pertinent details. And, you know, it's a prolific app. I mean, there's like, we probably shot a thousand images for it. There's also video. That, that it's a lot, there's a lot of content. 
And it was, you know, as a writer, it was great for me to work with Pat because we really did this, you know, two months together, like in the dry age room every day, looking at every every piece of the animal, examining them. So it, it gave me, it, it was, it's an educational thing that just making it really taught me a lot about me. Yeah, I bet, I bet. And all fair, we, we, uh, we learned, because I didn't know that you, you grew up in the UK. Is that correct? I never grew up. That's how come I'm a food writer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, yes, you I, was, to live here. <laughs> I was born, I was born in the States, but I quickly moved to Italy and then to London and basically grew up in London from the age of like two till I was about 15. So okay. sort of years and then moved to uh, New York where I've been ever since. Amazing. And you're back over here. Well, you're going over to Dublin. I still consider it to be here uh, for the Big Grill Festival. Yes, which I which I did last year, and I'm hoping to do every year until I drop dead of cholesterol and whatever. <laughs> uh, but my family all they all move back, so my family all live in in the UK, and I visit you know at least a couple of times a year. So um, yeah, I'm doing the Big Grill, which is a fantastic event. Um, it's in Dublin every August, and it's an outdoor grilling festival. It's over three or four days. Yeah, um, it's about twenty thousand people visit. It's really it's impressive. Um, so a lot of chefs. Last year we had a bunch of guys from uh, had like Neil Rankin came in from London, and we had a um, bunch of we had DJ Barbecue there. It's it's going to be good. So I'm bringing a couple of my friends from uh, New York this year. We have Billy Durney from Hometown Barbecue and Angie Marv from Patreon. So awesome. I definitely encourage you to come come out and and uh, and check it out. It's going to be a fantastic time. Yeah, I, I love the Big, Big Girl Festival, and for me, <clears throat> I've, I've not made it to Metopia yet, but it's like very similar in the sense that it's very, uh, very f- barbecue orientated rather than, uh, or like sort of chef orientated maybe. And there's lots of styles of of cooking going on, and it's a it's a real great sort of uh, theatre of, of cooking going on. I mean, it's such a variety of different styles and different things being done and it's, it's uh, just amazing i absolutely love it yeah it just shows you you can do almost anything with live fire you know it's the most primitive and primal form of cooking but at the same time it's just as valid in the 21st century as it has been at any time you know since the first caveman figured out that you know you could actually cook with this thing <laughs> so if we if we go Back to um, what I'm going to get at now is something that's always on my like quest of life is how like finding the ultimate burger. Like we, me and Dan have made so many, we've tasted so many, but I'm sure it's nothing compared to the amount that you've um, had to review over your years. So, can you tell us what what you think makes the ultimate burger? Yeah, I mean, I don't even, you know, to me, it's not even about the ultimate burger unless you're talking about like a death row inmate, and then. <laughs> I want to contemplate that. Um, but, you know, to me, it's about, it's always about the experience. It's about the totality of the experience. So, yeah, I mean, we can isolate the hamburger itself from the restaurant and from how you get there and all of that. But to me, that is almost as important. Um, and I just like simplicity. I like synergy. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to complain about the dry age, you know, 30 dollar or you know 20 quid hamburger but to me like it kind of defeats the purpose you know why are you going to grind that thing up you serve it as a steak it's dried beef it's the best thing you can do with mm-hmm. with that animal <laughs> um, so so a hamburger is it can just be like to me it's like it's it can be luxurious even if it costs like five or six 
dollars, you know. Um, and I, so I'm really into this. You know, if I do, gave you a list of, uh, of the, my favorite hamburgers, it'll all be the same. It's a white squishy bun, ground shark, American cheese. That's about it. Maybe a pickle. <laughs> Keep it simple. Then. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's something about that. It's like a margarita pizza. It's, you know, it, it's three ingredients, but they, they're just in. There's a perfect synergy to them. There's just a perfection in those in that simplicity, you know. It's like the jam, that, that uh, greatest band ever. They're just like, it's like a three-piece. It's just perfect. You don't need anything else, you know? Yeah, you're, you are so right. Things, yeah. So many things in food go through this, though, and they go through the whole trying to, like, morph and morph and morph, and, and you add more things in. It, it yeah. turns into a completely different beast, and it goes full circle, and you've just got the simplicity again, and that's what you're dying for. And I often say it's like pizza. and It's like it's become, pizza's become two different things and i think in there david chang sort of covers it in ugly delicious and he's like going and he's like well, what what is pizza now and like they order dominoes in and they're eating a like pizza pizza and it's just like things are just so different there and each has their own place i still feel like a like you're saying like a, i mean i wouldn't turn down a, a dry aged beef burger with whatever toppings you want on it and it can be still amazing but like what actually is the best beef burger for me is probably along the same lines as you, uh, like a simple, a simple uh, beef burger, really. Yeah, the simplicity. Like, I mean, it's just it. It really, to me, it's just about the cheeseburger, especially with a hamburger. It, you know, it's it's not like eating a a grilled cheese sandwich or a, even a even a pastrami sandwich like there is something profoundly there's something profound about the hamburger culturally in to america that is you know that is much deeper than any other than any other food in my opinion i mean it's it's as close to the a national dish as america has so what i'm always looking for when i eat that hamburger is some kind of evocation beyond it just being delicious and don't get me wrong they are delicious hamburgers are amazing but there's something, you know, there's something beyond them for me when I eat them. It's like it's, it's a cultural immersion that I don't think you get through any other food. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when I, when I was looking around watching some videos and stuff, I, I realized that I'd seen so many videos with you. And like you said, you've been you did this stuff with Eater, didn't you? And they did like over 100 videos, I think, with you with yes, traveling right. all over the place. But the video that... I kept coming, stumbling back to, I guess, is, is probably one of your newer ones, I guess, is a 127-day dry-aged steak. Was that the whiskey one? Yeah, with the Jack Daniels, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> that, that's with Angie Ma, who will be in Dublin uh, at the Big Grill. Yeah. I don't think she's going to be serving that steak, because that's gotten rather expensive. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But she will be. Do I'm sure she'll be doing her tomahawks, which are amazing. So a tomahawk is basically in the. I don't know. If, I, I'm sure you've seen them at all the festivals if you guys go there. But a tomahawk is basically yeah. a rib, a rib steak with an extended bone. So instead of cutting off the short rib, they leave the bone on. Mm -hmm. So very, you know, it's probably over a foot long. Yeah, um, it's very impressive looking. I don't think it does anything for the taste of the steak. <laughs> right? it, it's it's purely for show, you know. Um, but so what she does is she takes a French technique of, uh, of aging in booze, uh, and combines it with, and basically takes towels, kitchen towels, soaks them in Jack Daniels, wraps the whole primal, which is a whole rib section 
and then dry ages that. Every week comes back and replenish, you know, remoistens the towels. So that is dry aging the beef. The beef is expelling moisture from within, but it's also getting sort of, it's getting kind of cured and flavored with this alcohol. Um, it produces a really sort of distinct flavor. Um, it's also very, it's dry aged for 127 days. So it has all of those blue cheesy, really sort of Stilton like notes. But then there's this sort of vanilla creaminess that you get from the Jack Daniels um, aging process. So yeah, it, a very, very nice piece of meat. But you're better off if you have an expense account or you know someone else <laughs> yeah what how much are we talking i think it's up to a thousand bucks or something it's really? pretty <laughs> yeah i mean that's obviously a big stake that you can share with a bunch of people yeah but you know it's you're paying for the process you're paying for you know you're paying for all of those yeah things. like you said like 127 days that's that's a long time it's quite a commitment yeah. to commit the meat and the alcohol and all the rest of it for that long yeah and and of course the labor and all of those things yeah yeah you get what you well, pay on, for. <laughs> on that that's that's a, an epic stake in itself so here's another question can you can you pinpoint a particular steak or particular moment of trying a steak or, or eating a steak or, or maybe a location or something which was is a special memory to you in 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 a in and above others in, in that sense. Oh, yeah, I mean, yes, for sure. Um, the first time I had the prime rib at Smith and Walensky in New York, which is still my favorite, the best thing I've ever eaten. Wow, cool. That, that was, was straight through it. So that's got to be epic. Yeah, it was back in the 80s. Wow. They still serve the same cut. Uh, I did a video on it. It's one of my one of my favorite videos. Um, so it's basically what you would call a, you know, a rib roast. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. and it's slightly different because we there's no four rib in the states so they just butcher the, the last seven ribs um, okay. are called the rib right that's a rib primal and that has a whole it has the it has the eye the spinalis dorsi the, the longissimus dorsi which is the eye and the cap um, but then it also has this big cap above that with with a fat belt and seven bones, right? So you you basically trim that down and you roast it. That's called prime rib, um, which you will call roast beef or a rib roast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So to me, that is that's still my favorite piece. So it's a piece of uh, they dry age it for about twenty one days, hang it for twenty one days, and then they roast it for about five or six hours slowly. Um, serve it sliced thick with an au jus. Uh, it's just an exquisite piece of piece of beef best thing i've ever eaten i've been trying every time i sit down i hope to get a better piece of beef you know that's my (laughs) that's my driving instinct is to try to top it you know i've been to like i've had like galician like aged dairy cows and wagyu in japan and it's all it's it's all amazing i love it all but that piece of beef is still the the most uh resounding and have you been back there and you've had it again and it's still the best oh i eat the thing about once once or twice a month yeah, <laughs> awesome. Lucky guy. <laughs> <laughs> Got everyone's dream job, I think. Yeah. So it kills. Yeah. So what? We're, when we're talking about like dry aging, there must is there a point where you think that actually, like, that if it was dry age anymore, it's gone past being good, or what do you think around those sort of? 
mean, it, I don't think it, it's. I, I guess it depends what you're after. If you're eating a steak, yeah. Yes, because at some point it's expelled so much moisture that it doesn't eat like a steak anymore. It eats like a piece of charcuterie, and it's almost that the flavor is too intense. It's, you know, I, I, my my. If you're doing for steak, my thing is, if you can eat the whole thing, then that's fine. Then that's still considered. That's not too far, right? And that's usually around the point like ninety days. Obviously, every room is different, but on average. I think anything beyond like 90 to 120 days, you've kind of crossed over into a different realm of food product. And you'll see that it, it cooks differently. You know, you want, you still want juice, even though it's dry age, you want juiciness, you want some give, you want some, you know, you want it to be a little bit squishy. And once you've aged something beyond a certain point, it doesn't have any give anymore, you know? It's become mm. desiccated. Yeah. That that one, the steak that you had from Angie Ma, that that still looked like a steak to me. Do you think is that the yeah, alcohol that changed that process? It, yeah, but it's also wrapped, so that that actually helps mitigate the desiccation. So it, it eats much closer to something that's only aged like sixty days, even though you're having the flavors of a longer aging period. Yeah. Okay. Cool. It's fascinating. <laughs> Got so many. I'm hungry now. Yeah, I'm just sat here starving, thinking I haven't really eaten very much food today, and all I've talked about is amazing steak, and I've got no steak in the house, so I'm gonna have to go out and go shopping. All right. <laughs> um, so, so you said you've you've travelled all around the world. Basically, you've been to like Japan, um, all I guess yes. all around the the states. I'm guessing you visited everywhere in the US. There's a few places I haven't got to yet. I've been to San Francisco. I've been to Chicago in years. So those two places are, have really amazing meat cultures. Um, and I need to get to, uh, back up to the Pacific Northwest, which I didn't really get to explore a lot when I was last there. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I've been to all. You know, I've been to all of the uh, the major barbecue capitals, and you know, I really it, it's given me a real appreciation. Um, you know, for the for the for the breadth and scope of the of barbecue culture um and also you know you really notice that it's a it's become this it's you know it's evolving it's constantly changing it's not as if you know any of these places are just standing still um there's always improvements there's always you know new menu items yeah uh, i've got uh, one last thing that I, I often whenever we have guests on that are um food photographers i always ask them for some kind of tips on how to get good photographs of your food what would you say the best tips for getting good photos of food i mean obviously light is the most important thing um and if you can get natural daylight that's ideal um yeah. you know the, the big thing i always see people doing is casting a shadow over their plate like just get out of your own way yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> My problem is eating it before I take a photo. Well, that's that's other, right. Like, I don't, I, I don't like the, the sight of like half eaten food or a big bite taken out of the sandwich, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> what about yeah. an empty plate? Just because. <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, that's sort of proof of uh, proof that you did it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before and after shot. <laughs> But yeah, I think good, you know, good light obviously is an important one. Um, 
and you know, I think capture the mood of the place. Like don't, you know, maybe don't just focus on the food because think about like, especially at a barbecue restaurant, the, the table itself tells so much, you know, does it have like a gingham tablecloth? Is it a formica thing that's worn out? Has like this dull patina, you know, the hot sauce on the table. Does it have hot sauce? What kind of sauce is on there? Like all of those things like inform the, the, uh, the image. And, you know, think about what they're drinking. Like in some places they only have cheer wine, like in the sap in like the Carolinas, they drink this thing called cheer wine. It's a, it's a sweet sugary drink. If you're in Texas, you have big red. It looks the same, but it comes in a different bottle, you know, and it's probably a completely different thing. But all of those, you know, all of those touches kind of beyond just the food, they kind of evoke the place in a way that, you know, just taking a picture of the brisket or the ribs isn't going to necessarily give you. Yeah. So they capture the experience as well as. as yeah. The- that's always, you know, that's always the drive. That's to me, that's always as important. Right. It's not just about putting that bite of food in your mouth. It's about the entire sensation of doing that, what you're looking at, what you're listening to, who you've spoken to, all of those things. Completely, completely agree. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking some time to talk to us, Nick. It's been amazing chatting to you. Uh, you, Pleasure, If you is there any more info you can give us on your new project, or is this all top Uh, secret? It's going to be be meat related, as obviously. With I mean, basically, it's going to be entirely focused on meat. Um, All the vegetables will be eaten beforehand by the animals that we're eating. So there'll be vegetables. Um, But I will let you guys know as soon as uh, as soon as I announce it, which will be in the next couple of weeks. Great. Look forward to hearing about it. Excellent. Just remembered on in that video, I think that there was some vegetables in the video with this 127 day steak, but luckily they've been completely covered in like bone marrow or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's the Angie's very good at that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks again, mate. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. You're listening to United Q podcast. We're brought to you by Pro-Q, Kamado Joe, Thermopen, and Smokewood Shack. Pro-Q's extensive range of bullet smokers, reverse flow, and gravity-fed smokers will suit all, from the home enthusiast to the big volume caterer. Kamado Joe, the king of ceramics, is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Thermopen Instant Read Thermometers. Take the guesswork out of barbecuing with the super fast Thermopen. Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoky goodness, you provide the talent.